welcome to the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. I'm your host, Michael Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Al Ferreira. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another great episode of the Guidebook. We have a friend from all across the world, uh, Daniela. How you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. We're very excited to have you. Uh, Danielle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Daniela. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. I am a teacher by trade. I've spent the last 25 years working in early childhood education and care. Uh, presently, I'm working for Community Child Care Association, which is the peak for the not-for-profit sector of um, education and care services in Victoria. So we support out-of-school hours care, early childhood services, family daycare services, and kindergartens, um, mostly in Victoria. And so we do lots of different work with them. And I sort of support a team that are um, helping with professional development in services, advocating to the government. So it's been a very big role over the last 12 or so months, advocating to um, keep those not-for-profit services alive in Victoria um, and through Australia. And yeah, so I have a master's in educational leadership and a bachelor in early childhood studies. That's, that's great. So we're excited to have you on. And, and part of the podcast is to get a worldview and not just a, a singular United States view. And so thank you for joining us. And I know it's already tomorrow for you, yes. for, you for where we are. So just let us, let us know how tomorrow's going and we'll be good to go. Um, as we go through this, Daniela, you, we talked a little bit before we got going that you're in your third lockdown um, over in Australia. Talk to us a little bit about how is just how is school progressing? What does that look like? And see if we can kind of match apples to apples in the States yeah. and, and in Australia. Yeah, so currently in Melbourne, we've probably had the toughest lockdowns for Australia um, through this period. And there's a lot of struggles we've had for, through last year. Um, I have a six-year-old who was in prep, so her first year of primary school education, and she spent more of the year at home with me than they did at school in 2020. So um, there was a lot of challenges and exhausted families, I think, trying to juggle work from home um, and children who were supposed to be studying and learning about um, you know, the first year of being at school for Harry-O, but for other children just how they facilitate home learning and the stresses I think on that were quite a lot for families and we got towards December last year after a really tough lockdown in Melbourne where we were only allowed to go out for four reasons and that was to go to work if you're essential to um, get food for healthcare and for exercise at a limited period an hour a day and so we got to Christmas and it was all looking great. We were allowed to celebrate with families and go on holidays. Um, and it was all looking wonderful until the week of Christmas when Sydney had their cluster increase and we went back down to um, having to stay in Melbourne or make decisions that you might get to another state and not be able to come back. So I think that changed anxiety in Victoria because we all got to the point where we beat it as such. We, our second wave was quite positive. Um, you know, it went up, but only to 700 people, which is pretty amazing compared to what the rest of the world's done. And then um, we've come back this year with, with another cluster that's um, the UK strain is currently the issue. And there's only been a couple of cases in Victoria due to the um, hotel quarantine. So international flights coming back into Melbourne. And I think that that's caused a lot of anxiety. So for Victoria, schools only went back two weeks ago. 
and um, you know thinking about those year, those prep children in year seven, which is their first year in those schools, integrating to a new space and finding a sense of belonging. I'm not sure that that's even started yet for half of those children. Um, and I think that the anxiety for families thinking, oh, is this going to be just till tomorrow or are we back in that swing of homeschooling and what that means? Is it, yeah, I can feel anxiety and I think probably anger. A lot of people are playing that blame game of, you know, the government haven't done it properly. Now we're back being punished in the third lockdown. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds familiar, right, Al? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of what we're dealing with. At least you had that that respite your your country was able to to manage that a little bit a little bit better than the states here so so yeah talk i think they're doing a great job sorry yeah yeah no without a doubt without a doubt from what we're hearing yeah i, I would agree so so daniela talk to us a little bit about you know you're a teacher so are how are you still connecting with your children are you still connecting with your children is it all virtual you know tell us a little bit about that so in the early childhood space um, through the bigger lockdown periods that we had an eight week period where most children couldn't attend um, unless their families were deemed essential. So thinking about hospital workers, police officers, um, other teachers, things like that. So majority of learning, even in um, under five spaces went to virtual um, and out of school hours care programs all went to virtual learning. And I suppose the challenge when you're working with under five-year-olds is that it's probably a bit, so for me, it's more of a sense of belonging connection to children to keep that um, continuity up. And, and in our service, we tried to really focus on how can we support families, not make more of a burden on them? Because we know that learning um, takes place through play for younger children, particularly, or for all people, I'd like to say, but particularly younger children, that's how they learn best. And so talking to families about giving them the confidence to say, actually, you guys can do this. It's just about how you might articulate stuff. So, you know, instead of going, can you get me this? Say, can you get me the blue one? Or put some um, measuring cups in the bath when you bath your children so that they're learning about, you know, science and maths and stuff like that. And, and it's, it's really about giving families the tools is what we tried to do. And then just have a Zoom meeting that people could come into or children could come into if they wanted to, but no pressure to do that because families are trying to work. And that was a really hard balance to go, actually, your three-year-old needs to be on a Zoom session right now. Like, you know, that's, that's hard. So what could we do that would be a 20-minute story or a story that might allow families to go, here, go and watch Daniela while I'm off, you know, in a meeting. It was a bit, try to give it a bit of reprieve and keep that connection for our children. In the primary school space, obviously, it, it really was about team meetings and trying to you know, keep up with what's happening. And I think there was a big recognition that children were going to be behind. Um, and you know, when it came to report time, I think that it was really noticeable that some children hadn't, um, hadn't had that same level of learning that they would have had at school. Other children excelled in that space. So, because you know, if, if you're a quiet child and an introvert, you might learn better when you're not surrounded by a bunch of people that distract you or make you feel nervous and uncomfortable. So there's been a bit of both, I think. Um, and I think a lot of it had to be around mental wellbeing, really. So our motto at my service was, you know, just remember that your wellbeing matters the most and children need to have a really strong, happy relationship to learn anyway. So if that means that all of the homeschooling goes out the window, you you do that and you go for a walk with your child in the sun and I don't know count letterbox numbers on the way or something you know 
Daniela, one of the things that uh, over the last 10, almost 11 months now that we've been doing uh, uh, these podcasts with folks uh, around the states and all over the world, really, uh, the, the recurring words that come up is connection and kind. And, and you've already uh, mentioned them a couple of times as you've been talking. Um, and and uh, as, as I've been doing research about you, uh, the, the quote I found uh, was, now more than ever, I think it's important to remind ourselves to be kind to self. And 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 then you highlighted a article uh, about uh, during this time, you know, kind of picking the zone or finding the zone where where you live, whether it's the fear zone, the learning zone, or this growth zone. So, mm -hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about that kindness uh, and and how and where you are? What what uh, what zone do you find yourself in? Uh, or have you found yourself in, uh, in uh, throughout this period? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think that was a really important space for people to recognize. There was, I think in the first, if we go back to 12 months ago for us, I've been in, in my house working since February, 2020. So we shut down at Community Chakra very early on, um, being in a hotel building. We, there was that bit of attack. I think everyone was scared to, to sort of reach out to each other, you know, like don't touch anyone, don't. And, and talking about social distancing, I think is a really tricky piece of language to choose because it's it's not that you want to socially distance from people, it's that you just don't want to touch them, right? You know, and looking at how do you actually reach out and care for people that can't be, you know, like in, in I don't know if it happened in America, but you would have all heard that in Victoria, you couldn't get toilet paper you know, off the shelves, everyone went and stole and not stole, but took ridiculous amounts of toilet paper. And, and it's such a strange thing because not at any point in time did the shops close, you know, um, it just meant that no one could buy toilet paper if they actually needed it. And you just think it was, it was this flip side of, okay, well, you know, I had to say to all of my team at certain weeks, please take the toilet paper from the children's center if you don't have any at home, because how ridiculous is it that we can't share, you know, and we'll work it out. And, it, it did get to the point where you're like, right, well, let's hope we actually have enough for children. It's got, you know, Woolies will restock and it'll be fine. But um, it, it was so, it was such a strange space of, we couldn't cook the meals we were supposed to cook for children because you couldn't get enough packets of pasta at the supermarket because everyone had taken them. And then it was reduced down to two packets per person, which is wonderful because that's all most families need, but a children's centre needs more than two packets of pasta, you know? So that, that mentality of, um, not being there for each other and, and working together is, is quite a, it's, it's not how I naturally fall. I've, I've been raised to be very kind and very generous. And um, I, I'm really grateful for my parents in raising me that way. And it's what I really try and instill in my child, but also every child that comes through, you know, my connections and space. And I would like to think that I'm still in that growth space. Um, you know, I, I think there's, everyone's always learning. Um, in my service, we have a, our why is to nurture the future. And, and the purpose of that is, is the whole future. It's not about just those children's lives. It's about our environments and being kind to people around us. And, you know, we, we teach our children to be kind to the elderly or, you know, what can we give people? And that's probably where it comes from. But I think the other acknowledgement is being kind to self. And um, like I said earlier about homeschooling and saying to people, you don't need to worry about doing all this stuff because you know children will survive if you went a three-month holiday overseas and you didn't go to school 
they're learning by doing. So let's keep that in our minds while we're, you know, instead of overstressing ourselves. So it's got to be kind. I, I'm glad to hear uh, in some way that you had a TP crisis, a toilet paper crisis as well, uh, like we did here in the States. And, and uh, you know, um, uh, John Maxwell, who's a, a mentor of mine, uh, likes to say, uh, crisis reveals character and what, uh, what, what kind of character, what kind of culture do we have? And, and you, you said it, you, you were raised to be kind and generous. And what a great opportunity to teach kids about sharing and being cooperative with one another. But then we have this whole segment that's hoarding things and, uh, you know, out of fear. And, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you also mentioned learning by doing. Um, what, what kind of things are you doing right now uh, to help kind of foster that kind of uh growing, learning, sharing attitude uh, with, with the kids that you're serving, with the kids that you're seeing through your organization? Yeah. So for me, it, it, it is everything that they do is through doing. But I suppose in, in terms of this situation, it's about how they can make meaning of the situation. So a lot of it is um, allowing them the space to, um, to sit and explore and to have those real conversations with children. I think it's really important even... Um, with my child who's older than the children that we that I work directly with that she she has a chance to unpack what coronavirus is for her and what ways we can go about supporting other people in these spaces so it, it it's generally you know it could be by um, you know setting up a home corner the last year the children at co-op had hospital corner set up and they had a bunch of cotton buds that you know were pretending to go up teddy bears noses and you know stuff so because they're they're living real experiences and making sense out of that for them and that then helps them unpack it and support it and guide each other and support each other to do that and how do we care for those people or um because it, i think that if we allow children to not unpack that and not you know experience those things they then have that fear and you know, we, we're in a five-day lockdown, which is pretty small in consideration like of the situation. And I went to the supermarket Friday because I was away at a holiday house and there was no toilet paper on the shelf. And I went, come on, we're in five days. Like, and we all know that it didn't happen last time around. Like, so people still have that fear. And this is our opportunity to teach children that they don't need to be like that because, you know, everyone's got a different background and they might run out of toilet paper, but you know, actually, I want that kindness to come through. So how do we do that in our programs for children and, and have those conversations so that they're not worried about stuff or thinking about things in the back of their mind and processing them? I, I, I think that was great. You said something I just, I loved is that you gave the children space to unpack coronavirus and that they were mocking getting their noses tested and things like that. And so just like you said earlier, they're learning through play and what that looks like. And I think a lot of youth development professionals like yourself and the people who are in the field understand that, but reaching out to parents and letting them know it's okay for them to play with that doll in what you would previously consider a weird way yeah. because they're just mocking what they're seeing right now and they're exploring what that's like. Correct. And um, it was something that we we actually did explore and talk to our families about at co-op and I know many other services did the same because 
it is that making it families aware that this is okay. And so we had a, um, a WhatsApp group for all of our families to just be able to support each other and, you know, who was in lockdown, let's bring you coffee in the morning. Because although I live very in a city in Melbourne, um, it's like being in a little country town, Flemington. So it's, um, it's, you don't need to leave to get anything, but, you know, so people would say, I'll bring you a coffee or I'll drop loaves of bread off or what do you need? You know, because people were stuck in isolation for certain periods. And um, we, we did, there was a series of photos as families all watch their children unpack what that meant for them. And, you know, there'd be teddy bears lined up with masks on or bandanas or, you know, and all the cotton bud swabs that were out or whatever it happened to be. And, um, and the children that were at co-op that were allowed to be in the centre, they had the home corner set up. So it was quite interesting. And even um, a family the other day shared her child is in grade three this year and she got up Saturday morning and drew this picture of coronavirus and the world being angry. And you think, you know, this is at 6.45 on a Saturday morning, this child's got up into lockdown and, and she's unpacking that in her head and you think, that's what we want to do we want to have these confident children who are unpacking and, and that's their critical reflection of the situation that they're in so um enabling families to understand that that's normal um and I was really chuffed as a teacher to be able to go oh look you know she's sharing that on her Instagram so that you know it becomes more normal and other than other families and you know hopefully learn from that too and see that this is normal yeah, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize everything. So right. uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. If you're interested in having your voice heard on this podcast, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and send us an email. It's tomorrow in Australia and we're talking to Daniela Kavakis in Melbourne, Australia. And she's been talking a bit, uh, really uh, describing resiliency through play. And it's one of those things that, uh, 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 you know, how kids have been unpacking uh, their interpretation of what uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus has brought us all. Um, can you uh, share a little bit, Daniela, about, um, you know, a little bit more about the, the play environment and, and just what exactly it provides for kids uh, in their growth, in their, in how they... Uh, experience life. Yeah, sure. I looking at an early childhood service. So thinking we have children from six months of age to school age, which for Victoria is about five. The children have to turn five before um, April ends each year. So that's the age group that I work closely with and have done for many, many years. The Learning through play is about setting up a space where children can explore and um, and really for, for my service in particular, it was that we, we had a philosophy that children not only learn through play, but through really stable um, environments that they would come back into week after week that would look really similar um, in terms of where things were located, where where experiences would be so that they could pick up where they left off. and. To me, that was a really important aspect of children's growth because if I then change the experiences around weekly and put out a bunch of different toys or resources, they would they would play with that and they would learn from that. But it didn't give them a chance to to revisit it and go deeper and think about how they could construct more 
in that space. So for me, it was about having a really stable environment and it still is in the service where there isn't lots of change, but we might need to modify and add on experiences or, or something might come out. For example, cotton buds turned up in, you know, home corner so that we could play, you know, COVID testing because children were getting them, but we didn't take away the rest of the home corner stuff. It's about how we allow children to continually go back to a space and go and go deeper in there. Um, in their learning because that's how all of us you know think about if it, as an adult the more you spend time on something the more you learn about it you know and it, you, you dig deeper and you find out more and that's what we want children to do but through doing and you know I, I live with the saying that if you want to learn something teach it to someone because it's how you because people do generally learn best from doing and teaching so if you if you want to be the best at it, teach it, and and you'll get better at it because you're then helping other children or people. And we at Co-op became a multi-age centre after you know many years. Instead of doing the standard um, a baby's room, toddler's room, in three and four-year-old rooms, we decided to multi-age our space so that our babies, um, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, and three-year-olds are all in one room. And um, with with a goal in the future to be even our four-year-olds back in that one room. Um, there's a little bit of dynamic shift in Australia where kindergarten is seen as different to the early years because it's about getting ready for school. And so um, I'm trying to challenge that with families because they often want to come to a different space. But for, for me, the reason we became a multi-age centre was because I wanted the, the babies and the toddlers to be learning from the three and four-year-olds. So, you know, thinking about how they might challenge their thinking. We know, not everyone is the same. We don't all learn how to read or write on the first day of school or three months in, that there's a different progression for everybody in their own journey. And I think that by having them all together allowed some peer relationships not be about we're all two, we're all egocentric. It's that actually I'm gonna hang out with the three-year-old and I'm gonna challenge my thinking or that three-year-old is then going to teach me a skill. So that it's not always about the adults and what they teach, it's that peer learning that happens in that space. So we, we did that, that's part of our program so that um, children's growth is um, it, it's in so many different ways and, and, and led by so many different people. And we also have a, a bunch of amazing educators and teachers who are um, who, who come from so many different parts of the world who speak so many different languages and our children learn in different ways because they have such a beautiful, um, diverse group of teachers working with them so it's 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 about thinking about how their growth can be ex extended in that space for them to be the best them and to, just to be in the here and now as you create those spaces and and uh, move through and and you mentioned you have a six-year-old yourself uh, so I one of the questions we've been asking everybody can you picture 18 months from now the 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 viruses uh, in some sort of control that the uh, vaccine has worked and, and life has uh, reformed itself in some ways. Um, uh, where do you see that, that five, that six-year-old, you know, now that they're seven or eight years old, uh, you know, as a benefit of what you've been doing, the, the, this resiliency through play, the, the types of things that you've been describing, where do you see them 18 months from now, two years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, for my daughter, but also for all of the children at Co-op and um, hopefully across the world, 
is we we've we've instilled some resilience into these children and ability to um, to accept that that we don't have control over what's happening in society or the world at all times and how do we um, adapt um, the word pivot is often used to you know look at situations but from a children's perspective how do we go okay this is happening to us and we can't control it um, but what are the things that we can control and I hope that um, that then this situation probably allows us to support um, what that looks like in two years time that we have confident, resilient children that, that, that know how to deal with those really tough situations that come up. I think it's, um, it's an opportunity that we actually, if we learn from it now, um, you know, hopefully there's no more pandemics for another hundred years or ever, right? But um, I, I think there's definitely that learning of, you know, for children, for adults, that how do we, how do we get through this and realize that we are in it together and um, yeah, I, I see a bunch of confident children coming out of this space. And I really hope that my daughter can reflect on this. And I don't know she does, she's very reflective like me, but how do we, you know, go, right, do you remember back then? And we did this and, and it was okay. So, you know, like any other storm, it'll pass. My wife's parents grew up during the depression in the 1930s uh, here in the, in the United States. And uh, uh, in, in knowing them and knowing uh, what they, went through and, and how they saw life, uh, you know, they, they were incredibly resilient folks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my father-in-law ended up, you know, uh, serving in the Navy during World War II. And, you know, he became part of that, that generation. And I imagined that, you know, that was a, a, a huge, difficult time as a culture, as a society. It was a worldwide depression, kind of like this worldwide pandemic. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, they went on to be highly resilient uh, folks and a value of that thing that they had, you know, whether it was an item or a memory and how they held on to that for, for, for decades. I, I see children doing that. Um, I, I hope that that's a takeaway from this is that we value those uh, and, and are conf have confident kids who can adapt in the way you just described. What kinds of things do you see in families that you're serving that are demonstrating uh, maybe a glimpse of that confidence, a glimpse of that kind of hope uh, for, for their growth and resilience? I think um, for me, it's watching the connection families are now having with their children that, you know, there's, there's a lot of stress in families' lives, I'm sure, by having to manage both. But I think if people could step back and say and observe that in this time, we got to spend time that we would never spend with our children because usually they would be at school. So you, you get to see what it's like to how your child does learn and or doesn't learn potentially how, you know, what their ca characteristics and their personalities are like a little bit more too. And I think that observing you know in, in Melbourne you can't buy a bike at the moment unless you're happy to just walk into the shop and take what they want they have and I think that that means that everyone went out and bought bikes and dogs which is you know because they're home more but it means that families are, are building that um that different relationship that they haven't had in the past because our work life can sometimes overshadow what I see is important and I hope that from that children really 
and families continue that connection. And I think that that makes stronger children. You know, it's, it's to me, relationships is the key to um, anything being strong. And whether that's because every day you can get out and go for a bike ride with your child or walk the dog or, um, you know, have a laugh and stuff, you know, the rest will all come. We're all going to grow up with our academic education there. It's that, and you've got plenty of time to work on that. But, you know, the here and now is really important in shaping that future, so. Uh, I see the long, long range benefits of this is we're building better humans, right? Totally. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, um, Daniela, thank you for spending this time with us. Alan, I really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything you want to wrap up? Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Yeah, great. Um, I think it's just, I want people to take a step back and I suppose pause, right? Actually pause. And, and I don't think people do that enough. You know, um, a friend of mine would say, take a beat, count to four and start again, because sometimes we need to really observe what's going on around us and, and be grateful for what we have. And, you know, um, you were talking earlier about um, the depression and I was recently reading a book that was written through COVID about resilience. And it's a, it's a bunch of women who have written their stories about living through, you know, the, the 1900s and, and depression and war and, and things like that and all different situations. And quite frankly, I'm really fortunate to be where I am now at home with my daughter with food and money and happiness and health and and this is easy you know compared to what some people have lived through so i think it's about being grateful every day for what you have Great. Um, was... you can find me on linkedin or um my details are around yeah all right perfect thank well, you so much for having me yeah thank you for being on uh everybody hang out just for another minute and alan i'll be right back Hi everybody, this is Michael Garcia and I am here to talk to you about Youth Mental Health First Aid. This course is designed to teach neighbors, teachers, parents, peers, and caring citizens how to help a youth or teen who is experiencing a mental health or substance abuse challenge or crisis. The course discusses mental health challenges for youth, reviews typical adolescent development, and provides guidance through the Algae Action Plan for both crisis, non-crisis situations. Topics covered in the manual include anxiety, depression, substance abuse disorders in which psychosis may occur, disruptive behaviors disorders, including ADHD and eating disorders are covered as well. If you're interested, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and sign up for our next course. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. I It was a great conversation with Danielle. I really enjoyed hearing her perspective on the early ages of youth development and how they're managing down in Australia. Al, what'd you learn today? Uh, you know, she, she, she said it over and over again uh, about connection uh, and, and she was, you know, resiliency and being kind uh, and, and just that, um, that, you genuinely, she knows her stuff. Uh, Michael and I were just saying before we reconnected here. Uh, yeah, I, I want her to be my um, uh, my child's preschool educator as well. Uh, and can you do that retro retroactively with a 26 year old, a 24 year old, and an 18 year old? Uh, but it, it, it's about the law of connection. John Maxwell's law of connection. The heart comes first. No matter what she knows, 
Uh, you have to connect on that emotional level. And, and she's doing that through play. And, and I'm fascinated. You know, she's got the line of teddy bears. Uh, these kids are lining up teddy bears, putting masks on them, and then taking Q-tips and testing their, their, their nose for the COVID vaccine. Kids learn best through play. And she's just demonstrating that over and over. I, I, I don't know that I've heard that. Uh, here in the states, uh, enough, and uh, you know, uh, leave it to uh, someone clear across the world uh, to help us learn about that kind of connection and that kind of resiliency. That was a great moment. I think the other one, really, when she started to talk about how she would have mixed age classrooms in her programs, and it just immediately went back on the last of five kids and we didn't have preschool when I was a kid. Uh, and so my older siblings did a lot of that. And a lot of, I, I probably walked faster. I probably, and talked earlier because I had older siblings who I was trying to keep up with and go with, and they had opportunities to teach me and, and, and help to raise me essentially in that, in that environment. And I think mixing those, are in a classroom is just something I've heard a couple of preschools doing it in the States. And I just think it's something that more preschools need to look into uh, to make sure that they're engaging those cross, those cross generations. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Daniela. Thank you everybody for hanging in there. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.